You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. to get Heather to go to the grocery store last night and get me a box of Lucky Charms for breakfast this morning since it's St. Patrick's Day. It didn't work at all. She said, I can't have sugar cereal anymore. I'm too old. I can have it on vacation, so I'm looking forward to vacation. I love vacation. Y'all love vacation? I know our students got spring break this week, and some of you guys had some trips and everything. Welcome home. Um, I didn't go anywhere, so I'm jealous of you. Um, But um, one thing that I was remembering this week is a vacation Heather and I took last year. And we went last May to the Dominican Republic, and uh, it was one of those times in life where a vacation is... You, you just have to have that vacation. You know, it had been a long stretch of ministry. A lot of things were going on. There was a lot of, a lot of heavy stuff happening. We were in construction in the church, and it was, just, it was just one of those seasons. You're like, I just need a vacation. And we, we scheduled that vacation, and we had the countdown. You know, we all do it. Like, I got six more Mondays before I'm on vacation. We do it. You know you do it. Some of y'all even do the countdown timers on your phone. You're like, it's 38 hours and 67 We wouldn't be 67 seconds, would it? Sorry. I didn't get lucky charms this morning, see? I don't even know how to tell time. But it was one of those where we'd counted down. We're excited. We show up. This resort is incredible. I mean, it is a beautiful resort. I mean, paradise. I think that heaven is going to look a lot like that. But it turned to hell the next morning. Because right outside of our door for our uh, hotel room was a rooster. And every morning at the crack of dawn, that rooster was going crazy. Now, we've got technology, and you can snooze your phone and snooze an alarm clock. I don't know how to snooze a rooster without a gun. (laughs) And trust me, if I would have had one, I mean, I was thinking I could go to the restaurant and get a straw and maybe somehow make a poison dart. I don't know. This thing's got to go. I mean, one morning, I I was so frustrated. I mean, I, well, it's vacation. I'm tired. I just want to sleep in just a little bit. I don't want to get up at the crack of dawn. I don't get up at the crack of dawn ever, okay? If I'm up at the crack of dawn, it's to go pee and get back in bed. That's it, all right? I'm not a morning person. I don't, don't like mornings. We don't get along. So one morning, I'm just so frustrated. I got to go find that bird. And goes, what are you going to do if you find it? It's like, we'll have chicken for breakfast. I don't know. I was just that kind of thing. And I was so frustrated all week. But you know what, what it does now? Every time I hear a rooster now, I remember that vacation with my wife. I remember an incredible week. I don't remember getting up as early as I did, but we beat everybody else to breakfast. There's a benefit. But every time I hear a rooster now, I think of that vacation. And it makes me want another vacation. It makes me want to spend more time with Heather. And, and today's message is called A Rooster in Remembrance. And so go along with me with this. But if you got your Bible, go to Luke chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible, we keep some on the back cabinets for you. If you don't own one, that's our gift to you. We want you to take that home. You can follow along on your phone or you're on the screen behind me. In Luke chapter 22, there is a lot going on. We've been in this series where we're working through... Uh, the book of Luke, and we're coming to this, this climax of the book where it's the cross, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and, and 
This is all one night that we're kind of looking at right now that is, is packed with all this activity. I mean, Alec kicked the series off a couple weeks ago with, with um, the Lord's Supper and, and where, where Jesus and the disciples in the upper room celebrating the Passover. And Jesus implements uh, two new uh, um, ideas for the kingdom with the symbols at the, at the Passover table. When he takes the bread and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. He takes the cup of wine and he says, this is a, a new covenant and my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sin for many. And, and, and so from there, they, 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 they come out of that dinner time. And in Luke, as you move through the gospel account of Luke, the disciples have an argument over who's the greatest. You just had this incredible moment with God. Isn't it amazing? And then, and then all of a sudden, now you're in an argument with the people you're following Jesus with. And then Jesus in verse 31 kind of stops them and interrupts them. And he says, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Now, he's not just speaking to Simon. If you got multiple kids, you know this tactic, right? You're going to look at your troublemaker, and you're going to make eye contact with your troublemaker, and you're going to be speaking to all the kids, right? You're going to call out your trouble. Everybody, every family's got a troublemaker kid. I mean, don't sit here, oh, you're just perfect, honey. It might be you, kid, if you're sitting next to them, nobody say anything. I'm just saying, every family, I was the troublemaker. So my mom would say, Matt, I'm talking to you all. That's what happened in this scene. This is one of the most scary and comforting things that I think Jesus could say to somebody. Behold, Satan demanded to have you. He's coming after you that he might sift you like wheat. Okay, those are fighting words. Like he's getting ready to bring some stuff into your life. And that's scary to think that Jesus is like, hey, I'm okay with that. But then Jesus said, here's the comforting thing, but I've prayed for you. The comforting thing in this is that nothing that the enemy brings in our life comes without the permission of God. That Jesus is fully in charge of what the enemy has in our life. And he said, he's coming in. If, if you want to see a, a real case of this, go into the Old Testament and read the book of Job. I mean, Satan comes before God and he's in the presence of God and God says, hey, have you seen Job? I mean, that man loves me. He follows me. He serves me. And Satan's like, he just does it because you're good to him all the time. Let me have a crack at him. And you would, you would hope God's like, no, 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 he's mine. Leave him alone. He's like, all right. <laughs> I mean, I was like, sometimes when I'm praying, I was like, God, would you just not let, don't give the green light to the enemy. I'm messing this up enough on my own. I don't need his help. I, just, I need you to help me out of the messes I've created. He says, but Satan has demanded that he might sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you, listen to this, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go to both prison and death for you. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now, this is the gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all gospel accounts. They're all written um, to show us the, the birth, the life, the ministry, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's to show us from different accounts. 
and, and different perspectives that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Messiah. He's the son of God. He was born perfect. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He, he ministered on earth. He was anointed by God for ministry. He gave his life on a cross to bear the weight of sin of you and I and the shame of the world. And he took that on his shoulders. He was placed in a borrowed tomb and he was resurrected on the third day. And today he is seated fully alive at the right hand of the father. Every one of these gospel accounts are going to bring us back to that truth, but they're going to give us a little bit of a different angle. Some of the other gospel accounts are, you know, here we just see Peter say, hey, Jesus says, you're going to deny me. Peter's like, I'm not going to deny you. Even if I got to go, I'm going to prison with you. I'll go to death. I'm going to be put to death with you, Jesus. It ain't happening. I mean, in other gospel accounts in, in, in Mark, he said, hey, even if they all deny you, I'm not. If I've got to die with you, Jesus, I'm not denying you. Peter's, Peter's a hot-headed guy. If you don't know Peter, just, just read the Gospels. I love Peter. I mean, Peter's the type of guy that, that, you know, has the courage to say what you're thinking. I mean, Peter's filter's a little lower. And so Peter just hears this from Jesus. He's like, it ain't happening, Jesus. I'm with you. I got you. Ain't nothing going to happen. Not, not, it's not going to happen like that, Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny three times that you even know me. Don't tell me you're going to die with me. Don't tell me you're going to go to prison with me. You're going to pretend that you don't even know me. And then Jesus takes him into the garden. We talked through the garden last week. Jesus gives him one instruction. Pray that you may not give in to temptation. And then right after that, the heat gets turned up. Verse 47 says this. While Jesus was still speaking, while he was still saying to the disciples, you fall asleep, get up and pray that you don't fall into temptation. Right then, while Jesus was speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said, Judas, would you, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. That would be Peter. In the, the gospel account of John, we see that it was Peter who drew his sword and cut off the servant's ear. The servant's name is Malchus. Now, so Peter is that hothead. So while the other disciples are going, Jesus, should we throw down? Peter's like, yep. You know, I'm already ahead of you. I mean, he's not the guy that's coming behind you in the fight. He's the guy going ahead picking the fight, okay? And so it, it, he just draws the sword and he cuts off the ear. I don't know if Peter was just had bad aim. Or if he's like, I haven't gotten the green light from Jesus, so I'm just going to cut his ear off. And if Jesus says go, I'm taking the head. I don't know. I mean, Peter, that, that's, that's kind of how I see Peter. That warning shot was, I got your ear. Can you hear me now? <laughs> I'm with Jesus. And Jesus, he says, stop, stop, no more of this. And Jesus touched his ear. He picked up Malchus's ear and he healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders, think about everybody in the garden, man. This wasn't just a few soldiers. There was a crowd. There was a mob that came out. And the chief priests and officers were there. And Jesus looked at him and he said, have you come out against me like a robber with swords and clubs? I mean, come on. When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power and the hour of darkness and the power of darkness. Then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. What's interesting about this, some people 
get on to Peter. It's like, well, why wasn't he close with Jesus? Why was he following at a distance? When you look at actually some of the gospel accounts, um, Jesus would tell them, he said, when the shepherd is hit, the, the sheep are going to scatter. So when, I, when I'm arrested, you guys, you guys are going to scatter. When he was arrested in the garden that's in the gospel of Luke, he says, let, 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 let these men go. Jesus told the disciples, don't even follow me for this part. Don't even come with me. So Peter follows Jesus. He's at a distance, but he's saying, hey, Satan's demanded to have you and to sift you like wheat. And so temptation's coming. I've prayed for you. Temptation's coming. In the garden, he says, pray that you don't give in to temptation. Peter follows Jesus. And he finds himself in the outer courts around the house and they built a fire. Well, they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. Peter sat down among them. So Peter puts himself in a place where this temptation is coming. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. But Peter denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you're also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And so you got to understand, Luke is saying this. John is t- teaching us that, that it was Malchus's relatives that pointed him out in one of the accusations. Malchus was the servant who had his ear cut off. They're like, hey, you cut off my friend's ear. You cut off my, my cousin's ear, my brother's ear. I saw you. You're, you're the one with the sword. And when Peter hears that, it doesn't say, man, I don't know what you're talking about. It says that he began to curse and swear. I mean, he was, he was adamant at the denial. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. You got the wrong guy. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times, and went out and wept bitterly. And can you imagine the scene? I mean, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of, a lot of tension happening. This is all one evening in the span of a couple hours. So they have the Passover meal, a great spiritual moment where Jesus is pouring in. And all of a sudden, in this meal, Jesus says to the one who's going to betray him, he says, go and do what you got to do. One of you is going to betray me. All the disciples are like, it's not me. It ain't going to be me. I'll never do this. They come out. They argue about who's the greatest. Jesus has to rebuke him. He says, look, Simon, Simon, you guys, Satan's after you guys, and he's going to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. When we look at Peter, it's not the faith of Peter that failed. It's his courage. Because we see Peter in this moment that he says, I'm, I'm, I'm standing with you. He's courageous in the garden. He draws the sword and he says, I got you. I'm with you, Jesus. I'm gonna protect you. I got your back. And then all of a sudden, when the heat gets turned up, the temptation is there. And people are saying, you were with them. And Jesus, Peter says, I don't even know the guy. This is a guy he'd followed for three years. This is a man that he'd seen miracles He'd seen incredible things, and he's like, I don't even know what you're talking about, lady. Man, I, you got the wrong guy. And in all this tension and all the heat and the pressure, Peter's courage to stand up for Christ fails. He denies him. And then the rooster crows. And what it says in Luke is when the rooster crowed, Jesus looked at Peter. 
Can you imagine that look? I mean, Peter had looked in the face of Jesus and said, I'll never deny you. Even if I've got to die with you, I'm never denying you. And after denying and he remembers what Jesus said, Jesus locks eyes with him. With that look, Peter's drawn to repentance. With that look, it changed. He, he leaves the courtyard and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. He weeps these incredible tears. And what we have to realize is, you know, we, we, we look at Peter and we can be hard on him because we can say, well, he shouldn't have denied Jesus. We don't know what we would do in that situation, but here's what we can all do. We can all put ourselves in the same situation because every one of us has denied Jesus. Maybe none of us have said, I've never been with him. I've never followed him. I don't know who you're talking about. But we deny him by our actions. When our actions move us in a way that we give in to temptation. Jesus said, pray that you don't give in to temptation. Jesus said, Satan's after you. He's gonna come after you to sift you like wheat. He's gonna, he's gonna come at you, but take heart. I've prayed for you. And what we have to understand is that when that temptation comes, every one of us falls short of the glory of God. Every one of us have areas of our life that, that, that our righteousness is never gonna measure up. Our, our righteousness will never, ever measure up to the righteousness of God. But when we, when we intentionally walk our own direction to say, I'm gonna go into this temptation, I'm gonna give in to this, then we're denying Jesus in our life. We're denying his power and his righteousness in our life. And he looks at us and he's trying to bring us to a remembrance the only way I can describe that look is in like in a, like in a rom-com, ladies. I don't, I don't like rom, rom-coms, but I love my wife. So I'll watch one, okay? But you know the scene, it plays out in every one of those movies where somebody gets hurt, there's a misunderstanding. I thought you didn't love me. And then there's that look. <laughs> I have that look, and then I have my blue steel. But, or everybody's selfie phase. Have you noticed that? We've got a selfie craze where we do this. I mean, even in other cultures, I'm in Turkey a couple weeks ago, Istanbul, Turkey. There's kids taking selfies in the airport. They're going, I'm in Africa. I mean, technology has just come into Rwanda. Nice kids are seeing smartphones for the first time. And what do they do when they, uh, we take a picture of them? It's universal, people, we've got a problem. (laughs) But Jesus gives the look. Peter's called to remembrance. It says that he remembered the words that Jesus said, how he would deny him three times. Think about the other words that Peter has to remember with Jesus. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Even at dinner, a few hours before this denial, take this bread and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Take this cup of wine. This is a covenant that I'm making you, a new covenant in my blood that I'm making with you. This is poured out. My blood is poured out for the forgiveness of sins, and I will not drink this with you until I drink it anew in my Father's kingdom. I mean, just he's remembering these words of Jesus, and the look brought it from the rooster crowing, and Peter's just thrown into this mix. You know, like I said today, I hear a rooster crow, I go back to that vacation. 
that God puts those things in our life. He puts those little checks, those little reminders that we need to stop and take notice because when that reminder happens, he's wanting us to lock eyes with him and remember him, remember his words, remember who he is. One of the things Peter's got to remember here is that Jesus is in control. I mean, when that rooster crowed, they lock eyes. Peter remembers the word. He goes, hey, hey, he's in control. He's in custody, but he's in control. Jesus told the mob in the garden and the chief priest, he goes, you're coming at me like a robber with clubs and swords? I've been with you every day in the temple and you didn't lay a hand on me. Why? Because it wasn't your time. But now is your hour. Throughout the ministry of Jesus, we see crowds trying to, trying to come in on Jesus and, and, and some wanted to kill him. Some wanted to capture him. And he would always get away and he would say, now is not my hour, now is not the time. What does all that mean? It means that he is fully in control of the timing of his death, that he's fully in control. He wasn't submitting himself to the hand of man. He was submitting himself to the will of the Father. And when we see the supremacy of Jesus and the power and authority that he has, Colossians 1 tells us, it's, it says, for by him, for by Jesus, all things were created in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. There is no authority above the, the power of Jesus. And Peter's remembering this. He's like, wait, wait, they've got him in custody, but he's still in control because he determines the timeline. He sets the time. He sets the boundary. He sets the parameter. He sets the rules. He sets the game. And Peter starts remembering, I've seen that authority at work. I saw that authority in the boat over the wind and the waves. Peter would follow Jesus into these towns and these villages and people would bring in their sick and he, Peter would see Jesus' authority over disease, over sickness. People would bring in those that were, that were possessed by unclean spirits or possessed by demons and he would see Jesus' power over the enemy which brings comfort. Hey, Simon, Satan's after you but I've got power over him and I've prayed for you and my power is greater than his. He'd come into places where he'd see that the dead brought to Jesus and Jesus had authority over death. Peter is reminded that Jesus is fully in control. For us, it's not the rooster, it's the cross. That we look to the cross, it's empty. Jesus was laid in a tomb, the tomb, it's empty. Where is Jesus right now? He's seated, fully alive at the right hand of the Father and he is fully in control. Nothing happens outside of him. He has full watch on our life. And no matter how dark our days get, no matter how dark our moments get, no matter how far we feel like we've walked away, no matter, no matter when we realize the weight and the shame and the guilt of that moment that we've just denied Jesus by our actions, we've just shown the world that we're, 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 we're wrapped up in ourself and our flesh and we've given into temptation and the world can't see any goodness in me and we begin to weep bitterly because we start to see the reflection of us in the reflection of his glory and grace and all of a sudden we don't like what we see, we find ourselves in that despair. And Jesus says, just look at me and understand this. I'm in control. I'm in control of your life. 
We feel like we're in this whirlwind of, uh, and we can't control our kids. We can't control what's going on with other people. We can't control our jobs and what people are saying. There's so many things outside of our control, and we get ourselves in a tailspin because we're just stressed about the things we can't control. And Jesus is saying, look at me. Lock eyes with me and remember this. I am in control. And as Peter weeps, I believe those are tears of repentance. And it's not just thinking I told him that I would never deny him and I denied him. But what he's doing is he's seeing, I just denied my connection to, the, to my Lord and my Savior. Because Peter had already made a declaration to Jesus that you're my Lord and my God. You're my Savior. You're the Messiah. You are who you say you are. His courage failed, but his faith didn't. His faith was in Jesus, that forgiveness is still available. He's reminded of the words, maybe of John the Baptist, when he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Peter finds himself just immersed in this shame. And forgiveness is available. You know, there's a a word that we hear in church a lot called repentance. Repentance. And when we talk about repentance, we say it means to turn. And I think if we shorten the definition to that, we cheapen the definition of repentance. Repentance is a complete directional shift in our life based on something that we experience. It's based on the experience of our brokenness and God's holiness, our unrighteousness and God's righteousness that when we see our life in the context of his holiness and his mercy and his grace, that we begin to realize there's this great divide. There's this incredible disconnect in his holiness and my, my filthiness. And what happens is we begin to turn to his holiness. And we say, I want your holiness over my filthiness. I want your righteousness over my unrighteousness. I want your reconciliation over my brokenness. And we begin to turn and an attitude shift happens in our life where we no longer desire the things that lead us into darkness, but the things that lead us closer to him. And that's repentance. And only after repentance can we experience restoration. We want the restoration, but we have to have repentance first. Jesus is not gonna fix things in our life if we're not gonna turn our life over to him, if we're not gonna see who we are and who he is and the reality of the disconnect of the two and fall upon his mercy and grace and say, I need your grace to bridge that divide. I need forgiveness in my life. And I'm reminded of, of when, when, when Peter is praying and his, he, he's, he's crying, these, these bitter tears, that Jesus sees those tears and the, the, the broken heart he's not going to walk away from. And forgiveness is available to Peter. Forgiveness is available to you and I. And how do we receive forgiveness? How do we enter into this repentance? We ask for it. First John tells us that if we confess our sins, confess is another big word in church that we confuse sometimes. Confess means this, to agree. Here's how it works. The Holy Spirit will convict me. Matt, you're acting in pride. And when I confess that to Jesus, I agree with the charges. I agree that God, you see the sin in my life 
and it's a problem. And I see the disconnect of my sin and your holiness and I'm turning my life to your holiness. He says, then he forgives us. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. The only sin that we can't be forgiven for is the one we don't ask for forgiveness for. It's nothing too big for Jesus. I just think of Peter as he's weeping. And as I was reading this over and over this week, there's a psalm that just kept coming to my mind that weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. That that rooster crowing is a reminder that a new day is dawning. It was an unwelcome reminder on vacation, but we need a reminder this morning that a new day is here. God's grace and his mercy and everything is new this morning. And for Peter, this new day came with the resurrection. See, this is hours before Jesus' torture and his crucifixion. This is three days before the resurrection. But on resurrection morning, Easter Sunday is what we celebrate it with. I love this, that the angel made an announcement on the resurrection that said, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. The angel made the declaration to the disciples, he's risen, go tell, go, to the women, go tell the disciples and Peter. Jesus isn't walking away from Peter. Jesus isn't done with Peter. Jesus appears to Peter on his resurrection day. But there's a day that dawns for Peter in John chapter 21. And this is after the resurrection of Jesus. And Peter's gone back to fishing. He's experienced all this pain and this struggle and everything. And verse 15 says that when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus came and had breakfast with the disciples and they caught some fish. He said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Some people go, he was asking about the fish. Some asking the disciples. It it doesn't matter. Well, he's asking, do you love me? Am I the most? Heather and I will say this thing, I love you. And then she'll say, I love you more. And I'll go, I love you most. And then the, 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 the coup de grace is, I love you mostest, I win. So we just skip to that. It's like the triple dog dare. We just breach the etiquette and we're like, I love you mostest, I win. What Jesus is saying is, do you love me mostest? Do you love me more than these? And Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Jesus said to Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. And Jesus said to Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And look at this, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Some scholars believe Jesus is asking three times because Peter denied him three times. I can't find any biblical proof of that. But what Jesus is doing is he's restoring Peter He's getting to the heart of Peter because what happens is our temptation to give in and deny Jesus is the enemy pressing on the outside and Jesus has our heart. And when he has our heart, he's getting back to that heart. He's like, Peter, do you love me? 
Yes, Jesus. Then I want you to feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know I love you. Then I want you to tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And Peter's heart is broken. For us to talk about redemption and restoration, we have to have repentance. And for us to have repentance, we have to have brokenness. We have to be broken over our sin. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Jesus goes on to tell him about what kind of death he's gonna die that's gonna glorify God. And after saying this to Peter, Jesus said to him, follow me. This new day for Peter was this. It was a a restoration from the brokenness and the shame. It was Jesus reestablishing purpose in Peter's life. Peter, I didn't call you to fish. I called you to go fish for men. I called you to be a part of the kingdom and the kingdom building work. Scripture tells us that, that God's gifts, his calling, his purpose in our life, is without repentance, which means there's never a day that God looks at our life and go, man, I'm sorry I called him to do that. That I have to remember that there's days in my life that God looks at me and never says, I'm sorry I asked you to pastor people. God never says, I'm sorry I asked you to be a husband to Heather. I'm sorry I asked you to be a father to your kids. God gives that purpose without repentance, without being sorry. And Jesus is saying to Peter, I've called you to a purpose. And I'm not sorry for calling you a purpose even when you denied me because I got you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know I love you. Then I want you to feed my lambs. There's kingdom work to do. There's new Christians that you're gonna have to take care of. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then tend to my sheep. I'm building a church that I need leaders in that are committed and submitted to me. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know everything. You knew everything in the beginning. You knew everything when you called me to follow you. You knew everything when we were sitting in the room having the Passover meal. You knew everything when you looked at me and said, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail and your forgiveness was available then. And Jesus, you know everything that your forgiveness is available to me now. Yes, I love you. Then do the work of my my kingdom. Follow me. We see Peter in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out. He steps out leading the charge. He doesn't pull the sword to cut off an ear. He pulls the sword, the word of God. And he preaches boldly the word of God and thousands of people respond to the grace of the mercy, the forgiveness, the restoration that's available through Jesus Christ who was crucified and resurrected. You may be sitting here today and the enemy has been sifting you. He's been shredding you. And you need this morning to be a reminder that Jesus is in control, that forgiveness is available. There's nothing that you have done There's nothing in your past that his grace cannot forgive and restore you 
to his purpose. You need to hear this this morning, that the darkness of your life may be right now, that the tears you're weeping will tarry for the night, but his joy comes in the morning, and today is a new day because of the grace and mercy available through Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. Just to answer him this, do you love me? And respond this way, follow him. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for reminding us of your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. Ah, Thank you for the cross that stands forevermore as a reminder of what you did for us and what you paid for us. Thank you for the empty tomb that stands forever as a place where you were and that we know right now you're fully in control. You're fully in charge. God, I ask for your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness to wash people in this room. That those who've wept bitter tears of shame and guilt and hopelessness, I pray that today is the day that your forgiveness brings a new day in their life. That joy comes right now. That God, there's a reminder and a declaration that the sun has broken the horizon and a new day is dawning. There's a new hope in you, a new trust in you, a new life in you. We ask for your restoration life. Restore our hope. God, there's so many in this room that need a restoration of their purpose, that you've called them to an incredible life. I pray that you continue to remind us of your grace and your goodness so that we live our life for your glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at